Welcome to King of Glory Lutheran Church Education Podcast. We are a Christian community of faith located in Williamsburg, Virginia. For more information, please visit us on the web at kogva.org. Comfort, comfort ye my people, speak ye peace, thus saith our God. Comfort those who sit in darkness, mourning neath their sorrows, Lord. Speak ye to Jerusalem of the peace that waits for them. Tell her that her sins I cover and her warfare now is over. Yea, her sins our God will pardon, blotting out each dark misdeed. All that well deserved his anger, he no more will see. We continue with our invocation found on page one. We gather together in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus calls us to be the light of the world, to loose the bonds of injustice, open the eyes that are blind, and deliver from prison those who sit in darkness. God invites us to be a light to the nations, to carry God's salvation to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit dwells in us, giving us strength to do God's work. We live in God's hope for us and for the world. We continue with our confession. God of glory, you sent Jesus among us as a light of the world to reveal your love for all people. We confess that our sin and pride hide the brightness of your light. We turn away from the poor. We ignore cries for justice. We do not strive for peace. In the light of Christ, let us confess our sins, first in a time of silent prayer and reflection. We pray together. Forgive us, God. In your mercy, cleanse us of our sin and renew us once again with your spirit, so that, as forgiven and restored people, we may reflect the love and light of Jesus Christ into our world. Amen. Our God is a God of grace and mercy and love. Know that our sins are forgiven. May we be strengthened in all goodness. Since we have been raised with Christ, Let us seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Amen. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you for the many saints we have known who have faithfully reflected the light of Christ to us. Guide and bless us so that our faith will shine out for others, 
so that they will see in our words and in our loving service that the light of the Savior shines for them too. Hear our prayer and accept our praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As we switch over to our study of the word for today. Um, so last week we had rising light. This week is reflected light. And uh, if you were here on Sunday, you will recognize uh, at least one of the readings. What we're doing is we're introducing it on Sunday and then studying it on Wednesday. And so this week, again, it's reflected lights. What I did this week is I did not try to use every Bible passage <laughs> that we read on Sunday. That was a little over-adventurous last week. Um, what we're going to be focusing mainly on Philippians today. And so here are the passages that we are going to be looking at um, today. So if you want to get your Bibles ready, you can. And if you don't, you don't have to. But we're going to be looking at Exodus 16. 7 through 12, Genesis 17, 1, Deuteronomy 32, 5, Daniel 12, 1 through 4, and we'll be in Philippians chapter 2. That will be our main, uh, main focus for today's study. But uh, because it is also Advent and we're talking about the different lights and the different candles, last week we focused on the word hope. If you were here, you may remember that. And this week, we have a video explaining peace to us. And so if you find uh, this narrator to be fast and maybe not always 100% understandable on your tables, there should be these uh, transcripts of what the guy is talking about. But I thought it would be good because we're also talking about living in peace today that we start with our, with our candle of peace. The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting, it also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom. 
And his reign would bring shalom with no end, a time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, My peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work, because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. Okay. So at your tables, if you can turn to somebody and uh, talk about one of these two questions, did you learn something new or thoughts and reactions to the video on peace, the words of peace? Just take about a minute or so, two minutes at your tables to do that, and then we'll get some reactions for the group as a whole. Okay. Ready, set, go. Larry has his coffee and he's ready to he's ready to move throughout our fellowship hall. So let's get a few reactions before we jump into the actual uh, scripture part of today, the Bible study. Who has some thoughts? Raise your hand so Larry can get to you quickly. <laughs> you have no what do you say, Karen? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Say that, say that for the group. You know, it just got complicated. Yeah. And like John said, he may never think of shalom the same again. Yeah. Yeah. I heard a couple other tables talk about how it got complicated as well. Uh, there's more to it, right, than just the word peace. There's a restoration portion of it as well, right? Okay. Say, say that one more time, Carol. Our table discussed the wholeness of it yeah. and also the fact that did not use it previously as a verb. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Not previously as a verb, but it is, right? There's, a, there's an action to it, sense of wholeness. Anyone else? Pastor Freilich? This very well can be a, a play on words. Okay. Right? Uh, yes. Peace, it, by the imagery that he put up there, all the, the walls, pieces pulling together. Yeah. Only Jesus brings that into our world. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if that's what he meant, but. Yeah. But there could be, yeah, could be, all the pieces coming together, all right? All the pieces, and he's the one that brings them all together because mm-hmm. we're all individuals. Right? Yes, we are. <laughs> yes. But together in Christ, we're. One, right? Yeah, God brings peace the world cannot give. Yes. All right? 
Anyone else? <laughs> yes, it is a Pink Floyd song as well. We are just a break. We're all just a brick in the wall, but together it's all one big wall, right? And I thought that was good, the vision that uh, he used of the, you know, walls being restored. Great. All right. So keeping that in mind, uh, this does have something to do with the rest of our Bible study today because it's going, we're going to be talking about that Philippians passage that Pastor said that anytime he has the opportunity to put in front of a congregation uh, that he would. Um, so Philippians 2, 14 through 18 is where we'll be today. But we're first going to start with Exodus 16, 7 through 12. We're going to be paying attention again today to that echo and recall, echo and recall. Uh, today, we're going to start with the, we're going to start with the original where it starts, and then we're going to read what the echo and recall is in Philippians. So who has our Exodus over here? John, John McDermott will read for us today. Thanks, John. And in the morning, you shall see the glory of the Lord. Because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the, in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. Thank you. So if you remember, if you guys were here when we were studying Gideon, we talked about the word theophany, when God makes an appearance in a material form. That is an example right there of God coming in a material form as appearing as the cloud, in the cloud, right? So that's a theophany right there. Just to harken back to where we were a couple of weeks ago. All right, Philippians 2. Uh, verse 14, we're just going to start with 14 and we're going to end there for a minute. Ready? Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Paul's saying, what's that? From Sunday, yes. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Philippians 2, 14. So what is our echo and recall here from the Exodus account? Where do we see the similarities? What were they doing in Exodus? Grumbling, <laughs> right? Okay, grumbling. This is, yeah, not a trick question. They were grumbling, they were complaining, uh, and they were grumbling and complaining against God and Moses, right? Here in Philippians, we have, instead of, um, instead of the church, grumbling and complaining against God or Paul, who would be, you know, the Moses for, for them. Uh, this, the word here indicates that it would be a grumbling or arguing in disputes and controversies among themselves. So that's a different kind of arguing and grumbling than it is against God. 
This is an arguing and grumbling against one another in their community. So Paul also uses this again in 1 Timothy 2.8, which reads, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. So Paul only uses this word for argument a few times in the New Testament, and every time he uses it, it has something to do with arguing amongst themselves and backbiting within their own congregations. However, as we know, there's an echo and recall here because so much of what Paul writes and what he says is steeped in his Jewish um, ancestry and his tradition and his outlook that even just saying these words, that would be an indication to the church, hey, you're acting like the Israelites, right? You're acting just like them. And, and the word choice here is probably pretty specific so that they would, they would kind of say, oh, okay, us too, right? We're, we're doing this too. We also take this one sentence in the context of Philippians 2, 2, which is just at the beginning of this, where he says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. And then his appeal in chapter four, where he says, again, I want you to be making one mind. So four, one through three, if you want to go to that real quick, he's asking that the people there would, uh, would be in of one mind. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for my joy and crown stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Um, and he pleads with Eudea and, and Sintik, I already say those names, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are in the book of life. So we see Paul doing here is this is not necessarily, um, you know, this is not an angry letter of Paul. <laughs> this is not a complete admonishment. He's writing this because he loves them. He's writing to them not just as a pastor, but also as their friend. Uh, and he wants them to stop complaining and arguing amongst themselves. But why is he doing that? Why is he saying that? All right. So he's saying this in just like he's showing them that they're acting like the Israelites were. He's saying this, that they would be of one mindset and one, one anotherness because they've already experienced this because they have been reconciled to Christ. So they've experienced the love of Christ. And he's saying, you already know these things. You should already, you know, be clinging to these things. Now, continue to do that. Continue to do that. Any thoughts before we go on to the next sentence? John. There's a book by C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce. You've mm-hmm. probably read that a lot of you probably read about it. Remember, there's a character in there that has grumbled so much throughout his entire lifetime mm-hmm. that he turns into a grumble. Mm-hmm. He disappears. And it's really tragic because the book is about people getting their last chance to get into heaven and be forgiven. And but the other people trying to reach him. And so the point there is you turn it on yourself when you grumble. Mm-hmm. You're no longer working for the shalom. You're turning when you grumble. A little bit happens, but if it, but it take root. Yeah. You could turn. You're turning into a grumble. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I forgot about that book. Thank you for that reminder. Any other thoughts? Okay. 
So we go to verse 15. (laughs) Uh, So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. generation. So here's the purpose of what this is. I have a quote for you. This is from a scholar named Gordon Fee. He wants them, so Paul wants them first, to be blameless with regard to their observable behavior so that they might be recognized for what they are, children of God, and that they might thus be blameless for the day of Christ. We always have Paul in the now and not yetness, right, of life. So how are you living now, but how are you living with the view of the end times? Not that it is, uh, not that one excuses the other, or the one is more important than the other. They are both equally important because if you're living the way that Christ asks you to live now, you can point more people to him so that when the end of days comes, more people will know Jesus and be found in him, right? You could say that Paul coined our, our vision statement, right? That all may know the love of Jesus. That's what Paul is always concerned with. He's concerned with their infighting and arguing, one, so that they are one of one mind, so that they can be working together, but also so that when people look at them, they don't see that infighting and arguing. He wants to make sure that when people look at this church, they see something different than everything that's going on around them. So Paul's always in the now and not yet. Um, he's concerned with the gospel being shared and the not yetness. I know that's not a word, just run with it, uh, of the end times for the church at Philippi. So as they stand in the present, their conduct matters, right? Their conduct matters in full view of the day of Christ. It's as if you're standing, um, say, at the end of Dog Street, right? And you're or at the top of Dog Street and you see the capital way down and what you're doing here matters how you're getting there. You don't forget that you're going to the Capitol. You see the Capitol, but it's going how you act and where you, the decisions that you make are going to matter on how you get down to that Capitol. So it's always with this, uh, you know, the end times and Jesus coming again uh, in full view of what you're doing now. Who has Genesis 17? We're going to see where this becoming blameless uh, comes from and how, how Paul brings in that echo and recall. When Adam was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Okay. So there's precedent here, right, for being blameless. Uh, God is doing this renewal covenant with Abraham. And the word mainly deals with observable conduct here as well, which no one can find fault with. And it's probably the same thing with Abraham being blameless before God, which we are and that church is by the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, right? So what Paul is saying is you're not earning your blamelessness but you already are blameless. You may become blameless because Jesus has already done that for you. Now, now act like it, right? Act like the church that loves one another so that other people would see that and not wonder why, if they have, if they say what they have is 
the right thing and is a loving God, why are they acting? Why are they acting differently? Who has Deuteronomy 32, five? So we're going to see this. We're going to see another uh, echo here. They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. All right. Thank you. So who are we talking about here? The Israelites, right? This is in Deuteronomy. This is, uh, we're talking about the Israelites and God is saying they are a crooked and perverse generation, right? Because they have what everything that they've done and they're, how they've walked away from me. And so here we see Paul doing the same thing again, right? He's using the words that the people would understand and that is, that is are meaningful for him and then also for them to say, hey, listen, you, not only are you acting like, you know, internal bickering and everything, um, if you stop that, then you'll be found, found without fault. You are God's children, so... So stop that so that you can be found without fault amongst the crooked and perverse generation around you. So whereas in Deuteronomy, we're talking about the Israelites being that, it's different for, for the church at Philippi, right? Paul's saying, hey, listen, you're not that. You're in and amongst a crooked and perverse generation. You have God's love. Stop this internal bickering so that other people can't point to you and say, they don't really believe what they're, what they're preaching or they don't really act like they say that Jesus acted. Right. So it matters how you act because you're acting and people are watching. Right. Karin. I see this as big picture thinking. The whole scope of it is at the end of your life, have you lived a good life? Have you done everything you could do? Not to be blameless to me is another way of saying don't be a hypocrite. Hmm. And that's where yeah. a lot of young people today see the church and see people acting within the church. Yeah. And it's a turnoff. Yeah. And there are churches that do constantly bicker mm -hmm. and it seeps out. Yeah. And if we already are blameless, right? If we already are, um, we have been forgiven. Let's use that word, right? If we already have the grace of God, why are we kind of like pastor Harmon said, right? On Sunday, we will complain about anything, right? And people are watching and you're right. People, people, don't go to a church or they leave churches because of that. How many of you have been, you don't have, do not say the name of the church because we are live streaming. How many of you have been part of a church that had bickering and internal arguing issues? Just raise your hand. Pastor Freilich. No, not, not Kathy, not the one that pastor was. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> your wife raised her hand behind you. I just want to be clear here. It's not your church. Yeah. Yeah. King of Glory is not that church, right? Um, I have been, and I know many of you have been, at lots of congregational voter, voters meetings where people are leaving after yelling at each other, after insulting each other, after 
threats have been made, right? Um, none of those things are to the glory of God. Uh, as one of my reconciliation mentors always says, God doesn't need us to sin to make things right, <laughs> right? You don't have to sin so that somebody else does the right thing. That's not what God is asking us to do, right? So this is what Paul is saying. Yeah, don't be a hypocrite and also love one another. Could you just do that? Because you have already done that. And, and now I see that you're in this generation and what they mean, what he means by generation is the people around them, right? He doesn't actually mean like a generation of people. Um, and they're living in a time where Caesar is Lord. Caesar is savior, right? So this is the, this is the era of Nero. And so the people that were not in the church were, would take very seriously the people in the church calling anybody else Lord and savior. And so there was a reason that they had to act differently so that they would show, yes, we do have a different Lord and savior. And this is why, and we act differently. And this is what it is about, right? So they have a new Lord and Savior, the people in the church, and 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 Paul's saying, listen, you got to stand up underneath this pressure from, from outside of it. All right. So then we have, let's see, Daniel, who has Daniel 12, 1 through 4. Terry. We're reading the first part, then we'll get to the echo. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Okay. So let's look at, I kind of made up the letters. It's not really, it's just part of, part of 15, the second part of 15, the first part of 16. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Where do we see our echo and recall here with the Daniel passage? What's Paul saying? What is Paul bringing to mind here? Christ returns. Mm-hmm. Okay. What else? What it, what's happening in Daniel? What's happening in Daniel with, with the shining like stars? Who are the ones that shine like stars in Daniel? That are, um, as, I mean, I'm, I, I see it more in the gospel end, but, you know, people who are reflecting God, who are, um, the righteous and who are um, showing the way. Okay. People who are showing the way, the righteous who are showing the way to others, right, are shining like stars. So what is Paul trying to do here? 
he's bringing to mind, he's echoing that, that prophetic vision, right, of, of Daniel to say, hey, at the end and in this, in this strife, you have an opportunity to shine like a star and bring more people to Jesus because that's what it's about. <laughs> that's what it's about. So we have this, we have Paul calling on the Daniel passage to show the church that they are in the midst of a pagan culture and in the midst of the pagan culture, they can still shine like stars. That's actually their role. And the shining here is two pronged. The people of God are to shine in the world against, and I use that in quotations, the darkness, right? So we talked about darkness last week and pushing back the darkness. So they're going to shine against the darkness while at the same time illuminating the darkness, So pushing against it and also shining the light to show the way. So shining the world against the darkness is that we should be distinguishable from and in opposition to the world around us. Not, remember, we're not running after people and hitting them over the head with our Bibles. What we are doing is we're living the way that Christ has asked us to live by loving one another and loving our neighbors, and then also loving our enemies. So Paul's saying, you can do this. You just push back against the darkness. So we should sound different. Instead of hateful and prideful and divisive words, we should be speaking words of healing, of shalom, of peace. Now we know it's not just, I hope peace for you. It's, it's bringing people together. It's that reconciliation. Instead of acting without regard to another human being, We should be loving them as much as we love ourselves, at least as much as we love ourselves, which means wanting the best for them, helping them, providing for them, and praying for them, right, amongst other things. And so Paul's saying, hey, you need to live differently, and these are the ways that you can do it. You should look and sound and act differently than the people around you who don't know Jesus. Secondly, it would it is to be a burst of light into a dying world. So bringing that word of life to which we hold on to and where we get our power from, right? That's where we get that power to be able to shine, to bring that life-giving, life-saving gospel of Jesus Christ into the world, right? If you look at the Daniel passage again, go to 12, verse 3, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So what's our job? It's to shine like the stars in the heavens and bring more people to the gospel of Jesus Christ and bring that gospel to them. And so, and Paul is saying, listen, you can't do that if you're bickering and you're infighting and you don't look any different than the world, right? So this is what they're called to live like and we're called to live like. Any thoughts? How easy is this? Easy? No. (laughs) Hard, right? Heidi. I think the more brightly we can shine and the more people can shine, the darkness has fewer and fewer places to hide. Yeah. Amen. And we shine even brighter when we're all, when we're all one, right? When we're all one in Christ. It's easier if you have a wall of light to shine than if you have scattered fragments of light, right? And how does light get reflected? I actually looked this up because <laughs> I'm not a science person. So 
John, you can correct me if, if this is wrong. <laughs> Not that kind of science. It's a different kind of science. So think about a gemstone, okay? So when light enters a gemstone at the point of refraction, it's redirected out of that gemstone, right? And so they have these like special cutters uh, that make nice facets. And if you have a really nice cut ring or, or gem, you shine light, you know, all over the place. I couldn't but help but think um, of how this is sometimes like how God is shaping and forming us, right? So there's this video, which I'm not going to show you because it's rather long, um, but it's by the skit guys. Uh, we've watched it in CD a couple, CDT a couple times. It's called God's Chisel. And God stands and is pretending to chisel parts off of one of the other guys, like hatred, um, lust, you know, different things. And he's like, well, God, can you just, can you just take a little off of here, <laughs> you know, a little off of here? And, and God's like, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm making you into my image so that you, when people look at you, they don't see you, they see me, right? I want people to see Jesus and you to shine Jesus out from you. And so I can't help but think that this like a nicely faceted ring or gemstone is like God shaping and molding us so that when he pours his light into us, we can shine like this, right? Apparently, if it's not well cut, it's very dull. <laughs> um, and so it's not, it doesn't shine as bright. And so I just think it's, I think it's fascinating how when we talk about reflected light, there's also a way that you get the best reflection for light, right? And that's if, if it's cut well and it's made into, it's made into the gem that it should be. I, I can't help but see a reflection of that, of God working in our lives so that we can shine that light right out to everybody else. All right, let's wrap up the last couple of verses. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. So this is something that used to actually really bother me about Paul um, before I understood <laughs> what his boasting was about. Like Paul is always boasting. He's always boasting, but he's not boasting in himself. He's boasting, right, because what Christ has done for him, and it's a boasting that is a confidence and trust that is Jesus. So his boasting is Jesus, right? It is, it is that it is Christ himself, what Christ has already done for him. And Paul's just excited that they're going to experience the glories of the Lord together when the day of the Lord comes. And being poured out like a drink offering or service, they're in this together. He's saying, hey, we're in this together, and we're going to be suffering for the sake of the gospel. Because Paul is in another city in prison, so he's suffering, right? He's, he's suffering there. And he's saying, hey, listen, church, you are suffering, right? You have opposition. It's not just about your infighting, but there are people who hate you. <laughs> they hate you because of what you believe. And so we're going to suffer in this together. And for Paul, the suffering is always linked to the service of God. To, so it's not just suffering because um, you can't pray in school anymore. By the way, you can. There's a moment of silence at the beginning of every day. And I've had many teachers tell me that every teacher prays. <laughs> even, even, if they don't, even if they don't pray, they pray, right, for a good day for their kids. And we have kids who pray. But that's not suffering. What suffering is is 
It has to be done in in the stead of bringing joy and peace and the gospel into somebody else's life. It's not a minor inconvenience for you. It's linked to what God is doing and the bringing the gospel into people's lives. Okay. Um, it's not just about what you think we should be able to do as, as Christians in the world. It, that's what Paul's saying because they had a lot of opposition then. We have a lot of opposition now, but what Paul's saying is, hey, listen, we're going to suffer in this together, and if it's suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ, let's be glad about it. <laughs> let's just be glad about it. Paul doesn't, Paul doesn't look at suffering um, as joyful because he likes to suffer, right? He looks at it as joyful because it's linked to what Jesus is doing. This is not something where he's just like, I'm a glutton for punishment. Although sometimes it seems like Paul is because he's always, you know, getting beaten and shipwrecked and all that stuff. But it's all in the service of God. And so he's, he is excited about this. And he is excited that at the end of the days, they're all going to be in this together. And he loves this church, right? This is what, this is, this whole letter is a letter of friendship and love for this church that he wants to see them stop bickering and arguing so that they can make a difference right in their community. Any thoughts about Paul and his arguing and bickering and shalom and peace today? <laughs> yes, Tom? Uh, when I was very little, maybe 80 years ago, we used to sing a song. Maybe you know it. Little children, little children who love their Redeemer are the jewels, precious jewels, his love did in his own. Mm -hmm. Like the stars in the morning, they shall shine in his glory. Bright gems for his crown. I didn't get it all right, but that's the gist of it. Sounds great. And is totally, totally this lesson, right? Yeah, shining like stars and the jewels of his crown. Thank you, Tom. Little children. And we are his little children. Yes. And big children, yes. <laughs> Most of them. Anyone else? John, over here. Now that I've learned what shalom really means, <laughs> yes. I think it's important when we're getting pasted in the suffering to remember the destination, to go to your... Uh, thought about the jewels, and Lord, could you chisel a little off here? He will do that mm -hmm. eventually. That is, this shine like the stars forever and ever is not just reflect the light now, which is what we're supposed to do. But keep in mind, at some point, he will chisel off all the other stuff. Yeah. And we will be shalom in mm -hmm. ways that we can't understand now. Yeah. Everything that bothers us. I agree. And that, that, that's remember the destination, mm -hmm. which ties into reflecting the light is part of how you do it is don't grumble. Think <laughs> about the destination. Yeah. There's a reason why this is happening. Yeah. Thank you, John. I'm going to work in destination because it matters tonight. Thank you. Now that you said that. <laughs> the evening Bible study, will will hear it twice or three times. Destination because it matters. Yeah. And that's what Paul's saying, right? It, it matters, and let's get to that together, and let's bring more people with us, right? It's not just for us. 
Okay, three points for today. Internal arguing is counterproductive to spreading the gospel. Internal arguing is counterproductive to spreading the gospel. God's character is in you and reflected in you, so reflect it. God's character is in you and reflected in you, so reflect it. That's what Paul is saying to the church uh, in in this passage. Joy and suffering are linked. Joy comes from Christ and future certainty, and suffering comes in bringing others into Christ's joy. Suffering comes from bringing others into Christ's joy. Paul says, and if that's why we're suffering, all the more for it, right? Let's do this. Let's be happy about this together. Okay. Miss Krista, yeah, you're back with us. Thank you. Uh, Failed to mention the offering plate last week, so it's in there as a reminder for me. The offering plate is over over yonder. If you have your Advent offering, you can leave it on the way out. Some of you did last week, so thank you for, thank you for doing it, even though I failed to mention it. Uh, let's pray. Lord Jesus, forgive us for all those times when we have so poorly reflected the light of your love to those around us. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we ask that your humility, love, and service would overflow through our lives into the lives of others. We pray that when others see our good works, they will give glory to your heavenly father and be drawn to hear and believe the good news of salvation that is ours with faith, through faith in your name. Amen. Uh, as we continue with our prayers today, uh, when I say, hang on a second. When I say, hear us, O God, you can reply with your mercy is great. Uh, Please stand as you are able. Holy God, you make your presence known to the church in every land. Give to us a desire and will to support the work of the church throughout the world. Hear us, O God. Your mercy is great. Generous creator, in all things, you brought everything into being. And without you, not one thing exists. We praise you now for snow and rain that water the earth. Move us to care for the well-being of the work of your hands. Hear us, O God. Your mercy is great. Savior of the nations, you gather in your care people of every age and ability from lands near and far. Inspire the leaders of the nations to work for peace within their countries and in all the world. Hear us, O God. Your mercy is great. Saving God. Grant shelter to those who are homeless, comfort to all who are lonely, and a strong sense of your presence to those who are sick, especially those on our prayer guide, and these names we lift before you now. Hear us, O God, your mercy is great. Gracious one, your light shines in the darkness, and it is not overcome. We thank you for the witnesses who have testified to your light, and we pray that your light may shine even brighter within this community and each of us as your followers. Hear us, O God. Your mercy is great. Into your hands we commend for all for whom we pray, trusting in your steadfast mercy through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses 
as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. May our Christian love and living be a light to those who live in darkness. May our Christian communities be cities of light to be seen from afar as signs that God lives and works in his people. And may God bless you all for this mission, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mm -hmm. We sing our closing hymn. Hark the glad sound, the Savior comes, the Savior promise long. Let every heart prepare a throne, and every voice a song. He comes, the prisoners to release, in Satan's bondage held. The gates of brass before him burst, the iron fetters yield. He comes, the broken heart to bind, the bleeding soul to cure. And with the treasures of his grace, to enrich the humble poor. Our glad hosannas, Prince of Peace, thy welcome shall proclaim, and hands eternal arches ring with thy beloved name. Go in peace, that all may know the love of Jesus. Thanks be to God. Thank you for listening to the King of Glory Church Education Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God and His people, grow in faith and love, and live through service and sharing. Visit us on the web at kogva.org.